Hey, everybody, my name is Mike, and this is Conservative Swag. This is a podcast about the political and historical issues of the day and just how much trouble the United States is in. It's an effort to save our country from the left, especially the radicals who've hijacked the Democrat Party, the presidency, and now the United States. I'm doing it because we've got to do something to save our country. I hope you enjoy. Next week is Thanksgiving, and I got to sitting around and thinking, exactly when am I going to have time to do my Thanksgiving podcast? Because I just don't want to have one out there. And so what I decided was I was going to go ahead and do this. So this is going to be pre-recorded, released on Thanksgiving week. I hope nothing really big happens because, like I said, next week I won't be able to get a podcast on here. But I just wanted to take an opportunity to do a Thanksgiving podcast. You know, I just wanted to mention why it is that I am so thankful for what we have here in the United States. And I think especially a year like this where you have Joe Biden and the Democrats and the lunatics on the left, what I would consider intentionally running this country into the ground. And for those of you on the left, they go, well, they don't mean, they're not trying to run the country in the ground. They're trying to make it better. I, I just, I disagree because everything that they're doing has been proven to be bad for capitalism, for a country like the United States, for democracy. And yet they're doing it anyways. You know, recently I did a, uh, a podcast on the top 10 reasons liberals have the moral high ground. It was an article by James A. Hott. He wrote it back in, in August, and I did, um, I did a podcast on that just recently. If you haven't listened to it, go check that sucker out because it's classic. Anyway, so one of the things that he said is he said, you know, many conservatives think America is exceptional and favored by God, but liberals mostly see the United States as a nation like any other democracy. And, and at the time when I did the podcast, I said, you know, you're right. We do see this country as exceptional. We do see this country as special. We do see this country as something that's not normal. And why is it that we view this country as exceptional? And, and, and I think the bigger question is, why don't you see the United States as an exceptional country? I mean, let's look at the United States. And again, this is part of what I'm thankful for. I was sitting around the other night and they were showing, it was a show I watched called uh, 90 Day Fiance, and it's where American women and men are going to other countries. It's, I think it's called The Other Way. And they go into these countries where people live in shacks. There was one episode a year ago where a guy was sleeping on the floor and there was a big, giant-ass rat running around. And they were taking a shower in a cement room that had no floor. And, you know, this is the way a lot of other people live. And it makes me sit there and watch and go, man, I am so damn glad I don't live in one of these other countries. If you are in the United States, if a citizen of the United States, there's what, 320, 330 million of us out of 7 billion and change on this planet. You were one of the 320, 330 million luckiest people on earth. And like I said, I don't understand how liberals don't see that. And don't understand that. I, I just, I, for the life of me, I truly don't get that. So, again, let's look at the United States. We are the most tolerant. Now, again, the article I did or the podcast I did a week or so ago that James A. Hott talked about Republicans, and he said they are less tolerant and that Democrats are more tolerant. Well, I, I would agree with him to an extent. We are less tolerant as Republicans of the government, of taxes, of people trying to take away our freedoms, of people who break the law and absolutely nothing happens to him. Here we've got Rittenhouse on trial for his life for defending himself. 
and he's a white supremacist because he killed three white guys. But all those riots a year ago, the funniest thing I saw the other night was was a reporter doing, uh, he was doing a report standing in front of a burning building. He said these gatherings have been mostly peaceful. There was a freaking building on fire behind him that those peaceful people had set on fire. They have no problem with that. And Republicans don't have a lot of tolerance for that. Now, Democrats, they are also intolerant. They are intolerant of anyone who does not share their views, period. They talk about tolerance. They're the most intolerant people on earth. The United States is the most charitable country on earth. The U.S. consistently ranks as the most charitable country on earth. If you go pull up the most charitable countries online, go from website to website to website, United States is number one across the board. We are the most just country in the world. And I don't care what you find on the internet. You know, I thought, I'm going to go look on the internet and see where we rank in terms of how fair we are in terms of human rights and how how our citizens are treated. I went to Yahoo, I went to U.S. News, and I went to one other website. Forgive me for not writing it down. We were not in the top 10 or 15. That's Yahoo, liberal, U.S. News, liberal. I'm sure Google would have had the same thing. That's a joke. One of them had Russia as caring more about human rights than the United States. Russia. I mean, when you do that, you lose all credibility. You clearly have an agenda. You know, here's the thing about the United States is here, you can badmouth your leaders. We just had liberals spend four years doing it to Donald Trump. Hell, I'll be the first to tell you, I'll badmouth Joe Biden and that idiot Kamala Harris who makes Joe Biden look smart. That's how bad she is. She makes him look good. I didn't think that was friggin' possible. And they both make Barack Obama look good. Hell, I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think it was a human being on earth that would make Barack Obama look good, and these two assholes have done it. But here in the United States, you know what? I can call the president an asshole. And for four years when Donald Trump was in office, you had every liberal in America calling Donald Trump an asshole, calling him a racist, a misogynist, all those things. But think about this. If you lived in Saudi Arabia... Back in 2015, there was a writer that was arrested because he because he insulted a dead former king in Thailand. If you insult the king or queen or a regent or an heir to the throne, you can go to prison for three to 15 years per charge. In Spain, they will throw you in jail for two to three years for being critical of their leaders. Here's another one, and a lot of people aren't going to agree with this. The U.S. consistently ranks as the least racist on most websites. In fact, I got to be honest, I didn't find a website where we weren't the top country in the world in terms of being least racist. And think about this. In 2008, we elected a black president. In 2012, we re-elected a black president. And in 2020, we we elected a black president vice president. If we were a horribly racist country, and I don't give two shits and a giggle what LeBron James says. That guy's a freaking idiot himself. That idiot makes all the other idiots I just talked about not look like idiots. You explain to me how it is that Michael Jordan is one of the most popular athletes to ever play sports, basketball, but sports. LeBron James, as big a moron as he is, he's extraordinarily popular. Tiger Woods was extraordinarily popular. All those guys are black athletes. Kobe Bryant, when he died, the whole country lost their minds. And it affected everybody, including myself, including my wife. 
So I, I just don't want to hear that we're that racist of a country. Again, going back to James A. Hot, conservatives don't seem to care if inferior status is imposed on people with darker skin or foreign accents or on women, gay people, or other minorities. Right-wingers traditionally endorse hierarchies that favor the privileged whites like themselves and cast everyone else into the cellar. First of all, let's talk about gay people. This was an article I got online, and I'm stupid because I didn't write down where I got it. It, it, it was a simple search. Um, it, I put in openly gay people to serve on a presidential cabinet, and this is what I found. President Trump became the first president to name an openly gay person to a cabinet-level position this week with the appointment of Richard Grinnell as acting director of national intelligence. Grinnell was already the highest-profile gay person in an administration with a mixed record on LGBTQ+, I guess you say plus there, rights. As ambassador to Germany, he spearheaded a global effort to end the criminalization of homosexuality in nearly 70 countries where it is still illegal. Then you go to jihadwatch.org, which I'm guessing that's probably not someone who's in favor of jihad. It said, while LGBTQ rights have made great strides in parts of the world, homosexuality remains illegal in 70 countries, and 11 countries carry the death penalty, like Afghanistan, Brunei, Iran, Mauritania. NBCNews.com had uh, an article where they had images of ISIS throwing gay people off of buildings. And if they survived the fall, they stoned them to death. And then others, they just stoned to death for sexual deviance. That didn't happen in the United States. I've said it before. I don't know one person who just hates gay people. I, I don't know that person. Are there some out there? Absolutely. 100% there's some out there. I don't know where they're at. The United States is the most equitable country in the world. Now, if you go to, this is, this is the mind-boggling again, why am I thankful to be in the United States? Worldatlas.com listed Ukraine as the most equitable country in the world. Ukraine is an independent nation in the eastern region of Europe. The European nation struggled through its transition from a socialist state to a free market economy after it separated from the Soviet Union. Ukraine is classified as a middle-income nation. However, the nation still suffers from poor infrastructure, bureaucracy, and corruption. Ukraine is among the poorest nations in Europe. However, it's a world leader regarding income equality among its citizens. Its index stands at 25.5, which is the lowest in the world, which means worldatlas.com and all these liberals out there, they look at Ukraine and go, oh, wow, that's the most equal country in the world. They just said they're the, one of the poorest. And that's my problem when, when people talk about equality. They want everybody to have the same. It's funny how all the countries who all have the same, none of the people are rich. None of the people have anything. Liberals would much rather every American live in poverty and have the same than have 5% that make millions of dollars and then another 45% that make well over a couple hundred thousand dollars and then the rest of us make less than that. They would much rather everybody be broke. The United States is very equal, especially in the eyes of the law, in terms of your opportunities to go make a living. There's nobody in the world better than the United States. You will never convince me of anything different than that. You know, what I really wish would happen is that people who hate America, people who hate capitalism, people who hate 
the right to own guns, the people who hate everything about our Constitution, I wish they would just leave. I mean, I, I honest to God, I wish they would just leave America. And you know what? Go to Cuba. Go to Russia. Go to China. Go to Indonesia. Go to any of these countries that imprison people for criticizing their leaders. Go to any of these countries that practice socialism. Go there. Or better yet, here's the next alternative. Why don't all of you move to California, move to Washington, Oregon, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, all of New England for the most part, move there. Create your own country, a bi-coastal country. I'd be willing to give you D.C., to be perfectly honest with you, and create your own country. Create your socialist paradise, but don't take away our country. And what I wish conservatives would do is move to all of the red states, all whatever there are, 30, 32, 33 of them. You know, the funny thing is, is that there are a lot of people that are leaving the West Coast because it's getting too expensive to live there and their taxes are too high and they're moving to places like Texas because Texas has no state income tax. It's affordable. Their their economy thrives. And what's going to happen is they're going to turn that state blue and then turn it socialist, just like California. And these people don't realize they're part of the problem. Stay in California, stay in Washington, stay in Oregon, stay in these blue states, go to Colorado, go get high and get, go to Colorado and chill out in the mountains with a bunch of squirrels, but leave the red states alone, please. And as far as I'm concerned, and I have said this before, I would almost be 100% in favor of all the blue state people. Let's, let's pick you, let's get you in some blue states and you guys form your country and we can all just separate and go our own ways. All the capitalists live in the same states. All the freaking socialists live in the same states. And let's just coexist like that. So this is the, uh, the first Thanksgiving that Rush Limbaugh has been gone. I started listening to Rush Limbaugh back, golly, late 80s, early 90s. It was during the, the first Bush administration. One of the best things I ever heard from Rush Limbaugh was the, the true story of Thanksgiving. And I wanted to talk or recite a little bit of it. I'm not trying to steal from Rush Limbaugh, um, more or less trying to honor him, and it's a great story. And so I would like to talk about some of the parts of the real story of Thanksgiving and finish this thing this way. So, again, forgive me for quoting him, and forgive me. Don't Please don't accuse me of stealing, because I am stealing. But I'm not trying to. I'm trying to, like I said, just basically point out how bad socialism is and why we should all be thankful for what we've got. So the story of the pilgrims begins in the early part of the 17th century. The Church of England under King James persecuted anyone and everyone who did not recognize the church's authority. And those who challenged ecclesiastical authority were hunted down in England, and they were imprisoned and executed for what they believed. So there were a group of separatists that fled to Holland, and they were there for 11 years. And then after 11 years, there were about 40 of them who decided to make the journey to the New World. And these, these were the pilgrims. They were the separatists. They were the Puritans. And they did this knowing that they were headed for hardship like you don't know, like I don't know, like millennials think they know. But they were headed for hardship, and it had to be scary just because it's not like you had GPS and navigation system 
um, back there. And we just can't understand what these people went went through. We just, we cannot. But what was of paramount importance to them was living freely and worshiping God. And that's what they were denied the freedom to do in Europe. And that's all they wanted. They just wanted to worship freely. On August 1st, 1620, the Mayflower set sail. They were There were a total of 102 passengers. 40 of them were what we know as pilgrims or separatists. They were led by a man named William Bradford. Now, the, the Mayflower was about a 50-foot-long boat. If you think about that, that's just a little more than half of a basketball court. And there were 102 people on this boat. And William Bradford, along the journey, set up an agreement or a contract that established just and equal laws for all 40 of the members, all 40 of the Puritans. And it didn't matter their religious beliefs. They were just the laws that they were all agreeing to live by. And uh, this is the Mayflower uh, Compact, and it was derived from the Bible. And you're talking about the pilgrims being a group of people that were completely invested in the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. They were devoutly religious people. These are people who woke up in the morning and went to bed at night trying to figure out how to get to heaven. So here they're on this journey. It was very long. It was dangerous. And when they finally landed, they landed in New England in November. Now, I lived in New York for a while, and I can tell you winters come a lot earlier there than they do if you live in Texas. And according to William Bradford's own journal, they found a cold, barren, desolate wilderness. There was no shelter of any kind. Obviously, you have no houses, no hotels. And you're talking about very real hardship with no guarantees of living that these people went through, the, the sacrifice that they made just so they would have the freedom to worship. And then again, this is just the beginning. Then during that first winter, half of them died including William Bradford's own wife. They died of starvation. They died of exposure. They died of sickness. And then when spring came along, it was an act of survival that you you just, like I said, you can't possibly relate to being stuck, especially in the northern United States, out in the elements for an entire winter. Um, Rush Limbaugh compared it to, he said, you know, special forces would understand the hardship, but you and I would not. And that's probably very true. But they survived the first winter, and they did meet the Indians that first winter there, the Native Americans, who were um, able to help the Puritans or help the pilgrims in planting corn and fishing for cod. They showed them where the beavers were so they could uh, skin them and use their pelts for coats. And, you know, Thanksgiving is explained in textbooks as a holiday for which the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians for saving their lives. It wasn't that they didn't, but Thanksgiving was more of a a devout expression of gratitude by the pilgrims to God for their survival. Yes, the the Native Americans or the Indians were, were part of that. Going beyond the first, the Thanksgiving, here's the part of Thanksgiving that has been omitted from history books. The original contract that the pilgrims entered into in Holland was they had sponsors. They had people who sent them there. These were merchants in London and in Holland, and these merchant sponsors demanded that everything that the pilgrims produced in the New World would go into a common store, and that each member of the pilgrim community was entitled to one share so that everybody had an equal share of whatever they produced. All of the land they cleared, all of the houses they built, they all belonged to the community, and everybody got an equal amount. And they were going to distribute everything equally. If you produced crops, it was going to be produced equally. It's a little bit like socialism because they were going to be fair. Now, William Bradford had become the governor 
And he recognized that this wasn't going to work. It, I mean, it just wasn't working. It was collectivism. It was socialist. And that first winter had taken a lot of lives. Manpower was greatly reduced. So William Bradford decided to take action, and it was a very bold move on his part. He just threw out this agreement that they would all share equally, and he assigned a plot of land to each family that, so that they could work it. They could manage it however they wanted. They could just sit on it and you know not do a thing and just be lazy. They could build on it if they wanted to. They could do whatever they wanted to with it. And what he did was he turned loose the power of the capitalist marketplace. Long before Karl Marx was even born, the Pilgrims had discovered what could only be described as socialism, and they found that it didn't work when we're talking about the common good, the common bank, for lack of a better term. So when they were practicing socialism, you know what happened? Nobody did anything. There was no incentive to work hard. There was no incentive to overachieve. Um, what Bradford and his community found was that the most creative people had no incentive to work harder than anybody else did. And Bradford recognized this, and he knew that unless he could utilize the power of personal motivation, they were going to fail. So what William Bradford wrote was, so far as it was found to breed much confusion and discontent, they were not happy. So when William Bradford assigned each family a plot of land and they could do with it what they want, when profit was introduced, when the opportunity to prosper was introduced, it went nuts. It went gangbusters on them. They set up trading posts. They exchanged goods with the Indians. And this was not something that was taught by anybody. It was just they experienced and went, wow, this works. When you give people the opportunity to gain wealth on their own, they will strive to achieve more and more. And they had more than everybody else. And then they could then sell to people who didn't have and they did all this to pay off their debts to their sponsors in London and Holland. And you know what? The success of that colony, after they abandoned socialism and tried what was essentially capitalism, the word spread throughout the old world of this prosperity that was happening in the new world. And the new world was flooded with arrivals from people from the old world because they heard about the success. It attracted more and more Europeans. This became known as the Great Puritan Migration. And all it took was prosperity and the word spreading across the Atlantic Ocean about how there was prosperity and what people had and the freedom they had. And it was just there for the taking. The lesson is the true story of Thanksgiving, and it is that William Bradford and his pilgrim community were thanking God for the blessing on their community after the first miserable winter. That's what that was about. The Native Americans, they were a considerable assistance and they were friendly when the pilgrims arrived, but they had very little to do with their prosperity. What led to their prosperity was their experimentation in capitalism. So now if I might switch gears, and I hope I didn't botch that up too much. Again, I'm not trying to steal that from Rush Limbaugh, but I, I felt like it, it, it's something that needs to be repeated yearly. I mean, I really do. The United States is the world's most prosperous economy. It's been that way for so long, over a 100 years, that we take it for granted. But how did it happen? There are many answers, of course. One is that the United States values the free market over government control of the economy. It didn't begin that way. Before the country placed, it, placed its trust in the free market, it trusted the government to make important business decisions. Or to put it another way, only after the government failed repeatedly to promote economic growth and only after private enterprise succeeded where the government failed did the United States start to develop a world-beating economy. 
So we go back to 1808. John Jacob Astor formed the American Fur Company and marketed American furs around the world. Europeans adored beaver hats for their peerless warmth and durability, and Astor gave them what they wanted. Instead of leaving the fur business to capable entrepreneurs like Astor, the government decided that it wanted to get in on the action. So it subsidized its own fur company run by a guy named Thomas McKinney, who was a self-promoting government official. McKinney should have won the competition because he had the federal government backing him, while Astor employed hundreds of people and still made a pretty good profit. McKinney's company lost money every single year. Finally, in 1822, Congress came to its senses and ended the subsidies for McKinney. Similarly, in the 1840s, the telegraph came along. The telegraph was the first step towards the instant communication of what we have today. Morse, which was more of an idealist than a businessman, which sounds to me like he's probably progressive, agreed to let the government own and operate the telegraph in the, quote, national interest, unquote. But the government lost money steadily. Each month that it operated, it lost money. During 1845, expenditures for the telegraph exceeded revenue six to one, and sometimes up to 10 to one. So the government saw no value in the invention, so Congress actually turned the money-losing telegraph over to private enterprise, and it was put in the hands of entrepreneurs. And then the business took off. Shocker. Telegraph promoters showed the press how it could instantly report stories. Occurring hundreds of miles away, bankers and stockbrokers and insurance companies saw how they could instantly monitor their investments near and far. As the quality of service improved, telegraph lines were strong across the country, went from 40 miles of line in 1846 to 23,000 miles of line in 1852. By the, by the 1860s, the United States had a transcontinental tra uh, telegraph wire. And by the end of that decade, entrepreneurs had strung a telegraph cable across the Atlantic Ocean. Why didn't the U.S. government profitably use what Morse had invented? And part of the answer is the incentives it gives to bureaucrats. They differ very sharply from the benefits that entrepreneurs get. See, when the government operated the telegraph, the Washington bureaucrats actually made no money. But they also didn't lose money because the only money that was lost was the taxpayers' money. They had no personal investment. They had no incentive for it to make them tons of money because they weren't going to make tons of money. So government officials uh, never sought to improve the service or find new customers or expand to more cities. But entrepreneurs like Ezra Cornell, the founder of Western Union, he did cheaper service, better service. This meant more customers and more profits. Just 15 years after Congress privatized the telegraph, both the cost of construction and the rates for service linking the major cities were as little as one-tenth of the original rates established by the government in the steamship business. We see the story repeated yet again during the 1840s, regular steamship travel began between New York and England. The government placed its bet on ship owner Edward Collins, a man more skilled at political lobbying than business. While Congress funded Collins, Cornelius Vanderbilt started his own steamship company. Vanderbilt cut the cost of travel, filled his ship with eager passengers, and built a fabulously successful business, soon leaving Collins in, in his wake. Collins failed because he didn't feel a need to improve or even provide safe and regular service. For example, he had uh, two of his four ships sunk and killed hundreds of passengers. If he lost money, there was always another politician to go appeal to. It wasn't his money. Vanderbilt, on the other hand, had to serve his customers or he would lose his personal money. You think we would have learned this lesson by now?
Economic prosperity comes from free enterprise, the the chance that you could lose money, but the opportunity to make money. But it's a lesson that we have to learn every generation. So as I get ready to wrap this up, the point of all this is we should be thankful for what we do have in the United States. We have a free society that racism is not rampant in, and I don't care what LeBron James says. I don't. I don't care what Joy Reid says. We have a society which blacks, whites, Mexicans, Asians, you name it, we all have more freedom than you do in many other corners of the world. We have the greatest form of government in the history of the world if we don't get it taken away from us by these radical AOC gangbangers or whatever they are. So I am thankful that I do live in the United States because I see what other parts of the world are like. I'm just hoping to God that these socialists, these liberals, don't drag us down in the dirt there. And if they, what they should remember is, as dumb as some of them act, they have the right to act that way because of the very thing that they complain about, our free society, our capitalism. And they should be just as thankful that their hands aren't being cut off or they're not being thrown off the top of buildings for their beliefs or their orientation, whatever you want to say. I am so thankful that I live in a country where I can worship God and I can worship Jesus and I can do it openly or I can do it privately. I can be as critical of President Biden as I want to and need to be. I can call Kamala Harris an idiot. You can call Donald Trump an idiot. I can call Barack Obama an idiot. And we're not going to go to jail for that. And that's what we should be thankful for. It started off as a religious movement with the Puritans. They came here for religious freedom but to survive, they somehow discovered capitalism, and they go hand in hand. And our founding fathers, they set up our Constitution to give us freedom, the freedom to succeed, the freedom to worship, the right to bear arms, the right to free speech, the right to a jury trial, the right to vote. They gave us all these freedoms, and we should all be so thankful with that we have these things because I'll tell you what, not every country does. Like I said, you don't have to travel far to find countries that aren't like us. And if you think like, I would just, I would challenge any socialist out there or any liberal out there that thinks those countries have it so great, go live in them for a while. Go to Venezuela, go to Cuba, go to Russia, go to, these, go to China, go to these places and see how you really like it. And then maybe you'll be thankful for what we've got too. Well, folks, that's it for today. I appreciate each of you that are listening to this podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. You can email me at conservative.swag at protonmail.com. You can also find my group page on Facebook and follow me. You can follow me on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your ideas. But just remember, don't give up. Don't give in. And remember that we're not only the right, we are right. See you next time.